0: Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello, and welcome to the EM360 Podcast with our Ask the Expert series, a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. My name is Max Curtin, Editor-in-Chief here at EM360 and your host on today's podcast. Now today I'm being joined by Francis Carden, who is the VP Digital Automation and Robotics at Pegasystems. So welcome Francis, and thank you for coming on today's episode.
1: Hey, pleasure Max, and nice to talk to you.
0: Same to you, and before we dive into today's subject, would you mind giving our listeners a bit of background on yourself?
1: Oh yeah, I'm one of the old guys now, I think sometimes referred to as the uh, godfather of RPA, but um, my love started uh, in technology when I was 17, so that was 40 years ago. And for my SINs, I've kind of been doing most of my work around automation, which started everything from screen scraping, UI automation, and now, as it's known, RPA. Although predominantly seeing those technologies as more tactical, when we sold our company OpenSpan in 2016 to Pega, I've been able to enjoy much more of the fruits of the wider digital transformation and intelligent automation world. So moving from the tactical to the strategic has been a great four years for me.
0: I'm looking forward to our conversation today because I've done a fair few interviews around RPA, obviously, and it's a fascinating subject area. But Pega Systems has come out with a new bit of tech which I'm interested to kind of learn about because this will be a new knowledge area for me. So for people listening, Pega Systems has introduced X-Ray Vision and it's the industry's first self-healing RPA capability and it detects and fixes broken bots with no human intervention which is pretty really mind-boggling as a concept. So I want to delve into this a bit further with you Francis and I guess the best starting point is can you give us an introduction to X-Ray Vision?
1: Sure. And in order to do that, following on from my earlier intro, we started OpenSpan in 2005 with the intent of bringing UI automation to scalability and robustness, right? The previous technologies that have gone before it have not been very robust. It's the typical screen scraping approach where you're trying to automate someone else's UI. And in order to do that, there could be Ten or a hundred or even a thousand different applications in an enterprise, and so trying to automate that haphazardly was failing. And so when we started OpenSpan, we built our technology based around what we call deep robotics, where we put a piece of code inside the running application in memory, which is unlike any other RPA vendor who use the traditional UI automation tools that are provided by Microsoft or SAP. And so that set us a very high bar because our technology allowed us to get to great scale. We have some of the world's largest implementations of RPA when people were still talking about RPA not getting to scale. We have customers with 20,000, 30,000 bots. And we did that because of this deep robotics. The problem with that is is it takes a little bit more effort to learn to do it properly. And what X-Ray is, is it's taken away the need to learn And do the complex stuff that we did, you know, that was done manually, it's now done automatically. It uses that in memory recognition and it uses the patterns of those objects in memory to be deterministic. So there is no training now. It's almost funny, Max, because we say with this, there's no demo anymore. You can just start building automations. You don't have to actually identify the UI objects for which you want to build automations on. It's, Pretty amazing stuff.
0: And my next question's a bit obvious, and you've answered a couple there, but I'd be remiss not to ask of the benefits of the self-healing RPA and what that brings to
1: current RPA users. So the self-healing aspect actually starts when you build as well, right? So as I said, one of the things that most RPA vendors don't show you is how hard it is to build automations that are just hard. And that traditionally is why RPA has not actually got to scale. I mean, some organizations, you get a 50 box, that scale, right? The problem with that is, is that if you look in all the communities or all of the top RPA vendors and you look a little deeper, you'll find how they tell you how to build complex automations. It requires you to physically find an object and pick some patterns that make it unique. Well, that requires a technical developer mindset doesn't matter what the vendor is everyone has the same but it's typically masked because everybody wants to show you how easy rpa is by showing you building easy stuff and easy things but in the enterprise world that easy stuff gets built very quickly and it's done and it's very small but when you want to start taking rpa or automation of the ui seriously you need to start thinking about a much broader way of recognizing those objects so you know, kind of confirming what I was just saying. So if you think about it, if we could get that to happen automatically without you having to be a tech developer to understand this very complex language of how UIs work beyond the simple, then when you build these automations, it runs in memory, it finds hundreds of different unique patterns for each object and picks the right pattern so that that identification is automatic. The self-healing kicks in was when what potentially happens is you could build an automation and then someone changes the UI a week later and that RPA automation, that RPA bot can break, right? Or it could start throwing errors that you're not really understanding why they're occurring.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. With the x-ray vision, identifying those objects automatically, it can also identify when those objects change at the UI layer. So if somebody changes, for instance, an object that you've recognized by its text value, which might be, you know, yes, but it'll be YAR in, in, in German, or it might be something in a different language or just different for different users who've customized the UIs. The self-healing part, recognizing that object's identification pattern is no longer unique and goes and finds another set of patterns that makes it unique. And and it's kind of like if you think about a face recognition over the years, right? You know, the first iterations of it, it could identify many people that look the same as the same person. But now as it's learned and it's learned and it's learned, it now knows, well, when two people look alike, it actually goes off and tries to find something else unique in that person so that now it's got two identifications that are unique. And that's exactly what the self-healing RPA brings to our users. It's just very much taking away all of that pain from building complex RPA it just happens automatically, and then heals automatically when those UIs change.
0: How does it go from a implementation standpoint for an organization who, let's say varying sizes of business, how easy would this process be to implement straight away, or are there some flaws or things that need to be accounted for beforehand?
1: I'm going to be biased. I'm going to say we have the best RPA, right? It doesn't matter whether I'm right or wrong. I've got to be biased, right? It's Pega RPA, and we're the best. But even having the best technology. RPA is not always the right technology to be using for many of the automation projects we see. I saw somebody trying to automate Outlook with RPA. It's crazy. Send the email to a cognitive AI machine learning engine and have the email dealt with at the server side. You don't need RPA to be automating Outlook to go do that. And so when you look to implement this now, what we're seeing is people picking the right projects But once you've identified these objects, which is now automatic, you still need to have a technical mindset to deal with the trials and tribulations of UI automation. What happens if a pop-up occurs when you didn't expect it? What about speed variations? What about rules and governance and security? So RPA was always pushed as a thing for a business person, click, record, run the bot highly risky and puts your company at great risk. You know, sending screenshots to an OCR engine in the cloud about IT governance, no serious enterprise is going to do that. And any IT team that finds that going on is going to shut that down pretty quickly, right? Because you just can't have that going on in your business, exposing you to all that sorts of risk around the compliance and governance. So when you build RPA, today in Pega with X-ray vision, you literally can just start building those automations, but you still need to have specialist skills as easy as we've made it, which is almost to the point now where, yeah, a business person could build anything, but that doesn't mean to say they should, they're going to need the programmatic help that makes sure that what's built is robust and resilient and can scale across hundreds, if not thousands of users and run many hundreds more bots on the server side. So we make it easy, almost to the point it's too easy, but we still want to add the caution to build the RPA correctly, you need to have the IT governance and security around it. And we're never going to shy away from that, because I've been doing this for too long and seen too many people build bots that crash and burn because it just looks so easy. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. And
0: it's interesting to have that responsibility angle. Is there anything that's built into the system that... It's all very well us saying, like, you should be responsible and businesses should do this. But what happens if they don't and they take this and they, they, they put in these processes that are dangerous and detrimental and, as you say, can, can mess with the security and governments of, of the organization? How do we get draw that into their heads that this needs to be done properly and efficiently?
1: Well, thankfully for the large enterprises from the top down, they actually have those things in place. I mean, you know, you could have an Excel macro today called a web service. Does that mean IT want you doing that and passing data from that spreadsheet to a web service that might be hosted someone else? You could do that today as a business user. And hopefully, with the governance and IT that surrounds those enterprises, they would prevent that or pick that up, maybe by through sub subsystem sub in, in, in the enterprise. And RPA is no different. If anything it's worse, it opens up for all kinds of things that can be built by a business person. You almost can't put too much in it. You just have to have the compliance around it, right? There's just nothing stopping people doing bad things if they want to do bad things. So what we have within the PEGA environment is we actually have it and we almost enforce that governance and compliance at the outset, which means that if you manage and build those bots, then someone's going to oversee how that's built, the systems that you're calling, what you're interacting with, and how the security goes about doing that. And I can give you an example of a very large organization. It happened to be a motor manufacturer. They've built a couple of hundred of RPA bots with one of the supposed top three vendors, IT found out about these bots being built much later, and eventually killed it and replaced those bots with our bots. Not so much because you know one's easier, one's better, or whatever, because they just felt that business just build away was not just an immediate problem around security and compliance, but a long-term problem that they just wouldn't be able to get their hands around. You've heard of the term rogue IT. We, we we've been in the industry long enough. Rogue IT is the Achilles' heel of doing everything right. And so you don't want to stop rogue IT. You want to allow people to be flexible and to build. But if you put that governance and controls around it, which is what we really do enforce in Pega, we have an app factory, we have catalysts, we have design thinking and center of excellences. If you don't do that, I don't want you implementing my RPA because what's going to happen? Business person is going to build something. They're going to see some great value in it. But who knows what rules and regulations it's breaking? So that's how we deal with it.
0: Excellent. No, I think that's a, a fantastic approach to take and something that should be implemented What you know,
1: further out in the field. Well, sadly, not everybody does that, right? No, that's true. <laughs> that's how RPA became so prevalent so quickly, because it was promised as this Nirvana, you can automate anything. But just because you can automate anything doesn't mean to say you should you know, some of the analysts call RPA attacks on those legacy systems, because when you put RPA on top of someone else's UI, you're still paying for the support and the maintenance of that UI. Now you're paying for the bot. Now you're paying to maintain that bot if people change the UI. So it's this band-aid on top of band-aids. And quite often, there are many other ways today to automate a process, not just RPA.
0: And another element that I often come across whenever we speak about RPA is the data element as well. So, one thing I'm curious about how this X-Ray comes into account is when it comes to unstructured data for organizations and those that are looking to, to automate with unstructured data,
1: is, is there any benefit for this as well in that sector? Not for self-healing. So the self-healing is specifically focused around the UI, the desktop applications that hundreds of millions of users interact with every day. That's its predominant role is to see inside the memory, of the computer for each application and grab that control uniquely and robustly. What we have within the Pega environment is this ability to use many forms of AI. And I think this is where I see a lot of people also fall into trap. You don't really want siloed AI in your business, right? A customer interaction, no matter how many different places a customer interacts with you as a business, if you could collect all of that data and interaction, information into a central brain, and use AI on that data, it can complement RPA, it can complement things like NLP for email and document ingestion. it can complement things in the contact center where you're trying to reach out to customers and be proactive and reactive. You know, that's really when AI comes in its own. So when I see AI and intelligence being brought to RPA, with the exception of X-ray, because it's specific for something that's quite unique, which is UI automation, but all of the other AI around that and the machine learning needs to have a central brain where it collates all of those interactions and in that data. And then learning becomes exponentially greater. And that's where we've seen customers be very successful with AI. And that was a long way around to answer your question. Did that cover the
0: answer, do you think? That did. That was an excellent answer. I think that's the best way to kind of put it in all honesty. Another element I wanted to bring into this is... Sometimes, unfortunately, RPA doesn't work out. And we've spoken about issues already of why it doesn't deliver on promises. And there's almost uh, expectations on its return of investment. So from your standpoint, from what you've seen over the years, what do you think the key factors of that are that cause these failures? Is it misunderstanding,
1: lack of education? I actually think yeah, it's an interesting question, that one, right? Because I have actually written about this myself for many years and I get classed as the naysayer and yet I'm one of the founders of RPA, right? That's because I've never mm-hmm. tried to sell RPA as this Nirvana of anybody could build a bot and plug and go. I can't buy into it. I mean, even looking around where some of the technologies in some areas might be better than us or we're better than them, but looking at all of them and thinking about how far you could possibly go with RPA, even with self-healing and x-ray vision It itself is fundamentally constrained by the underlying Windows operating system and the UIs that run on top of it. They are out of the control of RPA. RPA can't control what Microsoft does with its operating system, just as much as it can't control what the hundreds, if not tens of thousands of organizations do with their UIs. And so it's always relying on things might change, therefore bots break, business rules change, architecture changes the uis you know they might buy a new crm system or implement a new sales automation system they may take a new enterprise service bus or a new approach to integration and apis well when you build things properly today you're much more cognizant of the fact that they need to be scalable and things will change and that's built into the architecture that it puts into place RPA breaks all of those rules. It comes along and says, ah, forget all that. Just stick it on top. And so where people run into the issues is they believe it's easy. They they implement their first five, three or five or 10 bots really quickly. And suddenly everybody goes, well, it's all going to be like that. But beyond those five or 10 bots, it goes downhill fast. The applications are complex. The Windows environment's complex. You've got no control over the change. The variations that humans are really good at when you sit them at a desk, you can put 50 people at the desk running the same process and they all do it differently. Now, they shouldn't, perhaps, but sometimes situation dictates. They've got 50 different people on the call or asking for things in different orders. You know, a lot of variability. And try to build an RPA that can deal with all of that variability and the underlying changes in the RPA are all highly risk. And so trying to build a bot that always works, that doesn't carry with it that heavy maintenance, but is nigh impossible. Right. And where we've focused on getting to scale is we say, let's try and do these attended RPA bots first, which puts the human and the bot working alongside each other in parallel. Very, very fast. So we make humans faster. We don't try to have the bot do everything they do. And you get the value very quickly that 20 to 50 percent of ROI can come in that first year. And you know what? Maybe you leave the rest to the human until the entire process is eventually digitized. But in the meantime, the chasing that 100% automation with unattended RPA, the closer you get to 100%, and I wouldn't say it's even that far from 30%, 40%, it gets exponentially more difficult, more complex to impossible to automate an entire end-to-end process with RPA. The
0: human element of digitization journey is so important and so paramount for bringing everything together. So it's a very interesting space. And I've got one kind of final question to wrap up here. Obviously, what Pega Systems has introduced is fantastic and brilliant. But from your standpoint, what's next for the company? Or should I say, what do you hope is next for RPA in general as well?
1: I think the world is waking up to what RPA is and what it is not. You're seeing that there's a huge challenge out there now. Pega's primary mission in life is to actually automate processes properly. And I think of RPA as automation not properly and let me let me let me use proper english for that so what i mean is rpa typically automates work that was computerized over the last 20 30 40 years so it was the manual way of doing things when people used to walk into a bank branch when people used to write checks when people you know the, the manual stuff and that was computerization generation one and rpa is an automation of that what true intelligent automation is is the ability to actually automate the process as it should be today based upon computer capabilities and computing and in cloud and AI and machine learning. You would not build a digital process today the same way you computerized a process years ago. And that's what RPA does is it keeps that alive. And so for Pega, our primary mission, and we've been working on this, is that, is enabling you to build digital applications, almost sometimes from scratch and sometimes by complementing your existing applications, faster than you even can with RPA, or at least as close, right? There's gonna become this, this point of no return where you can say, it's just not worth doing RPA, even for the value, because for a little bit more, maybe a little bit more time, maybe less time, a little bit more money, maybe less money, we can have a digitized process. And a digitized process is not RPA on top of a manual process that's been automated and so for Pega and there are other vendors like Pega, I always say this is that Pega has this low code at its heart and there are other competing technologies around low code. Low code is going to surpass and already does surpass RPA by a significant factor. If you could build a digital process from scratch in days and weeks that people used to think took years which is what drove RPA to the, to where it is today then you will see RPA actually reaching an end of life and you're seeing some RPA vendors chasing the term intelligent automation intelligent process automation hyper automation but those things are not RPA they are low code they are case management and orchestration they are integration done right Maybe some RPA thrown in and AI and machine learning as a central core part of the brain. And so we think about automating from the center out. We think about automating these, these, these processes, not by thinking about the UI and the digital process or the integration and the back end, but actually think about outcomes and journeys that you want to have your customers have with you as an enterprise, automate those and then decide whether you need RPA to do integration or if you've got a new data application, and then decide if you want to expose that to Alexa or Facebook or to a web portal or to a mobile device. And when people do that, we are seeing a rapid acceleration of low code as you reach this plateau with RPA. The so long answer, but that's what I believe.
0: No, I think that's a great belief system and something that organizations should take into account. And it's interesting to see the space grow. And as you say, there's a lot of different ways it could go. And I'm excited to see where it kind of grows. And Francis, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today. And thank you for coming on and giving your insights and all of this. It's been, been really educational.
1: Likewise, Max. And as usual, end this with everybody. Stay safe. Thank you.
0: Thank you everyone who took the time to listen. Please make sure you subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasting fixes for. If you'd like more information on what we spoke about, make sure you head on over to pega.com. We'll be back next week with another episode in the Ask the Expert series. In the meantime, you can get more great daily content by heading over to em360tech.com. You've been listening to the EM360 Podcast. For more great content, head on over to em360tech.com.